Good morning. So thankful to be here with you this morning. Um, Spent a lot of time over the last week or so thinking about Vintage Church, and uh, not that I don't regularly, but spent a lot of time thinking about Vintage Church as our 10-year anniversary is coming up. I told our Wednesday night crew this, and I want to tell you this, if, you're, if you've been here for one year or less or, or more, uh, you are just a part of this 10 as all of us, and uh, we're so thankful that you're here. I remember in 2011, 2012, when we first started talking about Vintage Church, and I thought, man, 10 years, can I make it, because you think about those milestones, can I make it 10, I mean, I, prom- I honestly didn't think I could make it five. I thought sort of I was going to be run out on a pitchfork, you know, with a pitchfork, and people were going to be kind of pushing me out. Thanks to Blake and Stephen, luckily they've kind of restrained my uh, lesser uh, desirable qualities. Um, but I thought, man, I was, can I make it 10 years? Can I make it 10 years? I'll be almost 40 years old in 10 years. Can I make it 10 years? I, I couldn't even imagine life uh, at this point. And so now I'm just thinking, can I just make it to my grave? Can I just make it to my grave? So I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep working toward till I die, and hopefully that's a long time from now. If not, you know, we'll praise be to God still. Uh, we're going to move on today. Uh, if, if this is your first time here, uh, we uh, preach, typically preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, today you've come uh, to 1 Peter. Uh, you've come to our service in 1 Peter 2. Uh, 13 through 17. First um, Peter 2, 13 through 17 is uh, an important passage. Um, it's not going to be anything for you that's sort of uh, groundbreaking, maybe. It's not going to be anything for you that's like going to change your theological life, but it's important uh, because First Peter 2, 13 through 17 teaches us the Christian responsibility to civil authority, how we are to respond to those local, uh, national, and even worldwide sort of governing authorities. Before we begin uh, in our passage today, I would just enjoy it if you would pray with me. God, we love you so much. Uh, We're so thankful to be here together, to be a part of this one body, this body that serves you that cares about this community, that cares about the lives of others. Lord, I pray that we continue to put others first um, over ourselves. Lord, we we know that true joy is found in trusting in you and then putting others before ourselves and then putting ourselves sort of at the end. Lord, help us not to um, abuse the grace that you've given us. Help us not to abuse the freedom that you've given us. But help us to use the freedom and the grace that you've given us to be a blessing to this community, to this state, to this country, to this world. Lord, I pray that the name of Jesus would be made great through the name of Vintage Church. And that the name of Vintage Church would be of renown because the name of Jesus was made great. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We thank you for your faithfulness throughout time to our body and to the church as a whole. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Last week we began a long section in 1 Peter as it pertains to the Christian response to the work that God has done in their lives. Specifically last week we saw that uh, work of Christ in our lives, that the work of Christ in our lives should produce holy conduct. Now this is not holy conduct for the sake of being seen. 
Um, this is not holy conduct because uh, we fear God or because we want to earn favor with God, but because of the indwelling Holy Spirit and an extreme sense of gratitude for saving us through His Son. When someone has done something so special like Jesus has done for us, the natural human response is normally and should be gratitude. When I think of Vintage Church, I don't think of all the things that you owe me for being your pastor, which are not very many. I think of what I owe you for loving me, for loving my family, for putting up with me for all of these years. Because when you are loved, when you receive a great gift, your response is not to think, what do these people owe me? But it's to think, what can I give them in gratitude? And that's the same response that we should have to Christ. We should not obey him out of fear. We should not obey him out of some moral obligation. We should obey him because we have great gratitude for what he has done for us. He's saved us. He's rescued us. But not only that, he's placed our feet on a solid ground so that we can thrive in this life. We really can thrive in this life because of the work that he has done. So the indwelling Holy Spirit and extreme sense of gratitude. It is Jesus that motivates us to live holy lives, to shape our lives with holy conduct. Last week we saw not only how holy conduct impacts our lives personally, but also that those who bear witness to our lives. Um, specifically, the, whole, the entire sermon last week was uh, shaped around how our conduct affects Christian evangelism. The first thing that I gave you last week, and I'm not going to do a full review on this, I just want to go over them quickly to give you the context and where we are today. The first uh, truth I gave you last week was that holy conduct is attainable. We often live our lives in weakness. We often live our lives overwhelmed by our temptation and our sin, assuming that we can't get out of it, assuming that we are bound to our past, we are bound to our situation, we are bound to the strength of our sin, but... What Peter tells us and what the rest of the Bible really is a living example of and what the power of Christ gives us is that holy conduct is attainable. It's something that we can do. It's something that when we walk in the Spirit, we will not succumb to the things of the flesh. So if you want holy conduct and you take the necessary steps to pursue it, you will receive a life that looks similar to the life that Christ lived. It is an absolute. It is a certainty. It's not something that we have to question. Holy conduct is attainable. Also last week we learned that holy conduct gives peace to your soul. Our flesh wages war against our soul. Our flesh wants us to do things that separate us from God. That want to hurt us. That want to kill us. That want to, uh, that want to diminish our relationship with Him and our walk in this world. But the Spirit of God... Through holy conduct, through holy living, gives us peace to our soul. Our flesh wages war, the Spirit gives us peace. Our holy conduct proves that the gospel is effective. Peter said last week that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When people see us living holy lives, they believe... I'm sorry, I've got a hair that keeps tickling me, so... If I keep doing that, don't let it bother you too much. When people see our holy conduct, they... That's not distracting at all, is it? When people see our holy conduct, they see 
that change is possible. It motivates them to want to change themselves, but also in a world where people, people generally do what they want and, not, and oftentimes are not very good, when people have had bad relationships and they think all men are the same, all women are the same, when Christians, single Christians, married Christians, children, teenagers, when we live holy lives, what we're proving is, is that is not true. That there is a power that can change and that will change. If people believe that all people are the same, that they'll never change, then those same people will accept a lesser destiny. Um, and you don't hear me talk about destiny often, but there you go. They will accept a lesser destiny for themselves. If they think that people can't change, they'll accept cruddy people in their lives. They'll accept terrible people. But if you believe that people can change, if you set that example, then people will accept changed people and changed people only. We're not, we don't only have a responsibility to prove the gospel is effective, but we have a responsibility to prove that change can happen and that people really, especially Christian people, should accept nothing less. If you've been mistreated in relationships, you should believe that there are people out there that are being changed by Christ who are for you and better for the people that are not for you. Holy conduct proves that the gospel is effective. But the main thrust last week was that holy con- also the main thrust last week is that holy conduct proves are is the is one of the greatest tools for evangelism. It's one of the greatest tools for sharing Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you, no one will be saved by your words if your deeds do not match. But people almost always will be redeemed by if your deeds match your words. Now, I know that people are saved through Christ. You don't have to give me all that. I've preached that to you. You learn that primarily because I preach it to you so much, okay? So don't give me that. I don't have to give you that disclaimer. But our deeds must match our words if people are going to believe that the gospel is real. So holy conduct is a tool for evangelism. It's not the only tool for evangelism. We must speak the truth. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word. How will they hear unless there's a preacher? We know all of that. Since I preached that sermon again today for you, let's let's move on really quickly to today. So within the last two years, uh, well, I guess we should, uh, I'm, I'm used to people reading uh, the text, so I probably need to read the text today. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as a servant of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Within the last two years, I've preached a sermon from Romans 13, which was uh, the passage that Tony read this morning. And it's really a parallel passage to our passage today. It was an interesting time because we were going through the COVID sort of stuff and, and all of the, uh, I, I believe, unconstitutional lockdowns, the church closures, and other things that the government was implementing at the time. I felt it necessary at the time to tell you, and I think rightly, that we are bound 
to the Constitution as the ruling authority of this democratic republic. Uh, based on that, uh, based on what I believe uh, is important, uh, sometimes governing authority, uh, established governing authority, disobeys the established rule of the land. And in that instance, it's okay to, in a God-honoring manner, sort of revolt. And that was sort of the way I taught Romans 13. And I think that was an important lesson for now, for then. For now, we're going to look at 1 Peter on the second side of that. And that is that I believe that you should, we should, have a general disposition to obey the governing authorities that have been established over us. I mean, I thought that that was true in Romans 13. I think it's true today. We should have a general disposition to obey the governing authorities over us. As a matter of fact, I think we should spend most of our time today in 1 Peter 2, 13-17, looking at a Christian or the Christian response to civil authority. The first point of two that I want to give you today is be subject to civil authorities. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The first thing that we must see and might be the most difficult pill to swallow is that we are to submit to civil authorities. Peter mentions first the emperor, which is the high authority, and then the governors, which is the lower authority. There is a simple reason that this submission is called, and that is it is God's will, and he has placed those people into their positions of authority. And when we submit to this authority, not only do we honor God, but we prove to others that Christians are good people and not evil people. Peter wrote this in a very difficult time for Christians. The emperor at the time was Nero Caesar, who would become known as the most brutal persecutor of Christians in ancient times, maybe ever. Peter was also martyred under Nero Caesar. Yet Peter says, it is the Lord's will that Christians submit to Nero. This type of submission was not a foreign subject for Peter. If you remember the story of the taxes and the, the fish, Peter learned directly from Jesus about paying his rightful taxes. We're taught to render under Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Now, while my personal belief, you've, you've, um, you've heard this before, is that the way we are taxed in this country is unjust in many times. I believe that there is taxation without adequate representation. It doesn't, be, it doesn't prevent me from paying my taxes. I pay my taxes. And as a matter of fact, I try to be as strictly adherent to the cra crazy tax law. If you've ever sort of read the tax restrictions and law, it's insane. But I try to be as strictly adherent to that as possible. I pay my taxes and try to do this as strictly as possible, not because of the fear of government, because if I'm tricky enough, I can trick the government, 
right? I can get cash payments that I don't have to report. Um, I can uh, send money to friends and family only. You know, I can trick the government if I want to. I don't fear the government and I obey the government. The reason that I fear the government, uh, the reason I obey the government, the reason I pay taxes is because I fear the God who established the government. I fear the God who is in charge of both life and death, who causes to exist and causes to not exist. My conscience goes to the God of the universe and not to the President of the United States or the IRS. I pay taxes because God commands us to, as best as we can, to strictly adhere to the governing authorities over us. This submission is not just to the king or the emperor, but also governor, which is also interesting. We, we consider Nero Caesar, but we also consider a governor named Pontius Pilate. Peter is saying, submit to Pontius Pilate. We know who Pontius Pilate was, right? He was the, he was the governor in charge that oversaw the execution of Jesus. So the governor, that, the emperor who would oversee the execution of Peter, the governor who would oversee the execution of Jesus, we are to submit to those authorities. And if that is the context with which we are met with today, then we should have at least an easier time submitting to the authorities that have been put in place over us. Edmund Clowney said this about the submission to authority. The form of our submission is unique to Christian witness. Christians are called to serve others, to go the second mile, to suffer injustice without demanding their rights, knowing that they have assured status before God and that he will vindicate them at last. In this willingness to serve while suffering injustice, Christ himself is the great example for those who bear his name. We are subject to every institution, whether it be the emperor or lesser governors. There are four truths under this subjection that I want to give you today. The first is this. Those leaders, even though we are to be in subjection under them, those leaders are mere creatures. Submit to every institution, human institution. While the context of this verse leads the translators to translate the word ketesis, uh, to translate that institution, that word can actually be translated as creatures or creation. So it can be translated as creatures or creation. There's a ton to take from this understanding of the original Greek word. And the first is this. Kings and dictators and, and presidents, they are all creations. They are all creatures. They are not the creators. They are not God's. It is important to note, but this would have been vastly important in Peter's time because the Roman Caesar and other emperors, we know that the Egyptian pharaoh thought the same way, they believed that they were a deity. They believed that they were a god, but they are not. They are humans, this is what Peter is saying. They are created beings and not God. Since this is true, they have no real or lasting important power over you or your soul. The political moves they are making and the poor decisions will still uh, be judged by God. They will still be controlled by God as God is the final 
authority. They have no impact over the spread of the gospel, whether their decisions are good or bad. Since they are created, they cannot alter the will of God. His will and his plan is sure, no matter how many times, no matter how the times are changing. Excuse me. Now, I believe it's important to fight for our rights as the situation leads. I believe we must do everything we can to fight for the unborn, to fight for those voiceless people. I think we should do what we can to promote Christianity in the public square and to fight off the attacks of people who try to destroy it. But with that in mind, I would say that it is most important to see all of these rulers as creatures. And with that, we should have the mind of Christ, the same one who told Peter to lay down his sword and pick up the gospel. That we should not be people who go looking for a fight, but act in self-defense instead when we must act. Be prepared, be on guard, be ready for battle, have your weapons loaded, but not aimed. Be prepared, be on guard, be ready for battle, have your weapons loaded, but not aimed. Our civil leaders, our national leaders, the world leaders, they are mere creatures. They can do no ultimate harm to you because your soul is in the hand of God himself. While they do things that may inconvenience your life, they do things that may hurt Christianity. It was under Nero that Peter said, obey the emperor and obey governing authorities. It was in the shadow of Pontius Pilate, the ultimate one who decided that Jesus would die, that Peter said, obey the governor because he is, giving, he is doing the will of the, the emperor. We should obey the Lord. We should obey civil authorities, but we should understand that they're just mere creatures. We should obey for the Lord's sake. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake. What should and could be our primary motivation for subjection when the government authorities obviously don't have the, our best interest in mind? Should it be fear of prison? Should it be fear of having an FBI agent permanently assigned to your Facebook account? Or, or, or maybe should it be the fear of how you're perceived in, in social settings or whatever? I would say no. I would say the reason we obey governing authorities is for the sake of work, the Lord. And if, for the, if it's for the sake of the Lord, then that is an unconditional obedience to his command. If it's for the sake of what the president does, there could be conditions to that. If he does good, you obey him. If he does bad, you don't. If it's for what other people see, when people are looking, you obey. obey. When people aren't looking, you don't. But if it's for the Lord, there is no condition to the command that he has given. He says obey the emperor. He says obey the governor for his sake. And we do it for his sake regardless of who's watching or what reward or punishment we might get. For the Lord's sake. I don't have much to give you behind this as a means of sort of apologetic, but this is sort of a just because Jesus 
said so moment. As parents, we're familiar with this, right? The because I said so moment. There are times where we have direct answers. Can I play in the street? No, you cannot play in the street because you probably will get hit by a car. That's a direct answer. There are other times where we don't have so many direct answers. Can I have this piece of candy? No, you cannot have this piece of candy. Why can't I have this piece of candy? Well, because I said so. And also because I don't want to have to hurt you later when you're run jumping off the walls, but because I said so. There are a lot of because I said so moments as parents. This is a because Jesus said so moment. Obeying governing authorities. Why should we obey governing authorities? Because he said so. But why, Lord? They're bad. They want to destroy us. They want to hurt us. I said so. I said so. You don't, understand, you don't see my plan, you don't understand my plan, you don't know the end, you don't know the middle, you don't know the beginning. And while I do think, again, I'll, I'll give this proclamation again, I do think there are times where Christians can rightfully and justice, justly re- revolt. I do think the natural propensity, the natural motivation, the natural push for Christians should be to obey the emperor and the governing authorities because he said so. Now there are other benefits that we can feel and see, others that we cannot see directly, but ultimately we obey governing authorities because it honors Christ. It honors the gospel and the Christ of the gospel when we obey this way. Not only do we obey because it honors Christ for the Lord's sake, but for our gospel witness. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 15 could also be tr- translated this way. Because the will of God is that you should silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. We are commanded to submit to the authority over us, even if the government doesn't line up exactly with our beliefs. Beliefs, And the primary reason for that is because we will prove the gospel is taking effect in us and that we are good people because of the gospel. And a primary reason for that is because we will prove that it also proves that Christ is alive. We point back to 1 Peter 2.12 from last week that our honorable conduct would cause us to glorify, cause people to glorify God on the day of visitation. We must consider the gospel and the Lord of of the gospel first as it concerns our obedience to civil authority. Not only do we bring light to Jesus when we obey those authorities that have been placed over us, when we consider the gospel first, but you shut the mouth of the accuser. Like I said before, we can fight and we can take stands, but we also must be people who consider our witness first and how our stand and our actions that follow hurt or help our witness. Friends, it would be better to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself in the sea than to cause a little one to stumble, even if your work is a seemingly good cause. Even if it allows you to win a Facebook debate. Even if your guy wins office, for the sake of the name of Christ and our gospel witness, we should watch our steps carefully, especially in the public square. There's a fourth point under that, under under how the gospel affects us, how we're to be subject to civil authorities. And the fourth point is this, it's for our own good. 
It's for our own good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Whether we see it or not, these systems and people are placed over us to protect us. In a just system, good is rewarded and evil is punished. Now, the system we live in is not exactly just. Sometimes evil goes, a lot of times evil goes unpunished. A lot of times good goes unrewarded. But that doesn't mean that we should blow up the entire system. Now, it doesn't always happen this way, but you need to understand something, and America is proof of this. Even terrible presidents who are bound by the Constitution are still better than many other places where leaders have a lesser rule of law. America has proven for the last 200 years to give people the best chance to live free lives because the government, no matter your views, is established and has been written and established to restrain evil and reward good. Listen, slavery is the worst black eye on this country, undoubtedly, and we can't, we can't say anything else about it. Yet because of the Constitution and those who enforce it, Slavery was abolished, and all people have been given what is promised to them under that constitution. Now, I know that slavery was around on this soil longer than 100 years, but from the time the constitution was in place in 1789 to the time slavery was abolished was less than 100 years. With a good government document and good people there to enforce it, evil can be restrained. Even with the best government, it took a little bit longer to give equal rights. But there are places all over the world that have placed, that have practiced slavery for thousands of years. Because there is no good law, there is no good, they're not no good men, but there aren't men to restrain these people under a good law. Friends, you should feel blessed even though, it doesn't, even though it doesn't always benefit every single person all the time, you should feel blessed to live in a country that has such a document that really was founded partly at least under Christian principles. You should feel blessed to live in a country that has a document that at least momentarily restrains evil and rewards good. Ultimately, it was good laws and good work that restrained the evil of slavery. Good laws and people following them, people acting justly according to the laws that they had written to give the rights that they said belonged to everybody that existed to those people. I want to close with this last thought today. Not only do we obey civil authority and honor God, but we... Do not abuse the freedoms that God has given us. Look at verse 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We're to live as free people, but not people who abuse the freedom we have or use that freedom to abuse others. 
Our submission of certain freedoms is never rendered out of weakness, but out of the knowledge that we are rescued by God and we are covered and controlled by God. When we submit our freedoms, when we are submissive and give away our freedoms on this earth, what we are saying is, is I trust the God who controls me more than the freedoms that I control. Our freedoms free us to do good. Even the good work of submitting to God-ordained authority. If we abuse our freedoms and do not use it for our good and the good of others, we prove that we are not free men at all, but we are still slaves to sin and to our old life. Friends, you will be a slave or a servant to something or someone. We can be a slave to sin and we can be a slave to our old life. We can hold on to our freedoms and we can abuse those. Or we can be a slave and submit to God. The God who gives us ultimate freedom. As Christians, we should choose to live in servitude to the God who saved us in every aspect of our life. Peter goes on to give four commands that will help us honor God and not abuse our freedom. And I'll give those to you very quickly. The first is this. Do not use your freedom to mistreat people. Do not use your freedom to mistreat people. He says, honor everyone. Friends, I want you to know this. Every single human being, whether friend or foe, is an image bearer of God. And because of that, they have innate value. Every single human being. There is not a human on this earth, no matter how much you despise them, their people, their country, their their background, no matter how much you don't like that. There is not a single human on this earth who does not have innate value because they were created in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. There's nothing that separates us from anybody else save only that we are covered in the blood of Christ and they are not. Every single human being, whether friend or foe, is an image bearer of God. I would tell you, honor everyone. Do not use your freedom to mistreat people. And since everybody is created in the image of God, and we are God's heralds of the gospel, we have an obligation to see people as needy spiritual beings and not just uh, friend or adversary. (coughs) In our freedom in Christ and in our freedom in the government, we should treat all people with dignity and respect. We should work as as much as humanly possible to love and equally deliver the life of the gospel to all people. Friends, there are no boundaries or restrictions on our gospel proclamation. The Bible doesn't say present the gospel to people as long as they have the same skin, skin tone. The gospel doesn't say present the gospel to people as long as they were born in the same country. Or as long as they got in this, as long as they did the things that, that um, as long as they did the things that you have done in the same manner. Like, well, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and I worked hard and I, and I made a living for myself. It doesn't always work out. It's not always as black or white. It's not always as clear for everybody as it has been for us. When we, when we look at people and we judge them based on their background, based on the way they look, the way they act, who they are, we are, we are setting our standard for the gospel and not God's standard. 
God's standard for the gospel is that everyone deserves dignity, everyone deserves respect, and everyone deserves the opportunity to hear of the rescuing, freeing, life-giving power of what Jesus has done for us. Do not use your freedom to mistreat people. Do not use your freedom to abandon the saints. He says, honor everyone. Then he says, love the brotherhood. We have an immense amount of freedom compared to Christians throughout history. And in one of the tendencies, it's one of the tendencies of free people to use that freedom for ourselves. To use that freedom only for ourselves. But Peter is saying that Christians should use that freedom to double down on our love for fellow Christians. Just because you've been set free doesn't mean you're free to go about your way. Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Not only it, what, what is happening here until we get to the last statement is this building of uh, our personal treatment of others. So we honor everyone, then we honor and love the brotherhood. We honor the brotherhood by being a part of the local body of Christ. We honor the brotherhood by helping the saints. By, while I think we should treat all people as equally as possible, I think we should give love and honor most frequently, most often, to those who belong to Christ. We should be meeting regularly. We should be searching for needs. We should be um, seeking out problems and, and trying to find ways that we can care for each other regularly. Honor everyone, but we're to honor and love those who are in Christ. Do not use your freedom to abandon the saints, friends, but draw into the saints. If you use your freedom to abandon the church, you are not actually free. You are a slave to and bound to your misunderstanding of how what God's plan is for Christians. Do not use your freedom to take lightly the judgment of God. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. So we get to this point, he says, honor God, love God, fear God. We are called to honor the king, but we are called to fear God. Fear belongs not to earthly leaders, but to the God who instituted and upholds their authority. While kings and rulers have authority over our earthly state, only God has the authority of existence and non-existence. Therefore, we should be conscious of and fear what God can do and not the president, not the governor, not state and local leaders. We fear God and not man. We honor God, we love God, we fear God. And then Peter goes, for the last one, he goes sort of back down to the beginning. Do not use your freedom to, as an excuse for lawlessness. He goes back to honor the king. In order to not abuse our freedom, we must honor those that watch over us. The leaders that are above us have been installed by God. They help to keep order, and we are not held to their standards but God's standards. Interestingly here, Peter says, honor all people. And in the same way, in the same wording, he says, honor the king. We are, honor, we are to honor the king because of his high position, but not more than other men. Peter seems to be saying that if we treat everyone the same and to the glory of the Lord, then we will be obeying the will of the Lord. Do you understand? You can treat the homeless man the same way as the president to the glory of the Lord, and you're, honoring the God, and you're honoring God, and you're treating them the way that is expected. 
Honor everyone. Honor the king. While we obey, there is a different way of honoring the, the leaders. We submit to their authority. We submit to their rule. In the way that we treat them as image bearers, it's no different than the way we treat a lesser, quote-unquote, lesser person. We don't have to bow prostate before governors, but give them the same respect that we give other image bearers. This should be a challenge to us, especially because we often believe that we can slander and trash political leaders as if they are subhuman. I was, I was challenged by this passage because oftentimes on social media, we act like we're talking to AI or about AI. You know what AI is? Artificial intelligence. It's like when we say something about Biden, we're actually, we might actually be, but when we say something about Biden, we're not actually saying something about a human. We feel like we're saying something about a robot or something. And it's not a fair, it's not a fair treatment of a president because if you are a believer and if you love the Lord, you wouldn't do the same thing about somebody that you might have to interact with on a daily basis. It's not acceptable to treat Biden or any of those other people any differently than we would treat the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Honor every man. Honor the leaders that have been established before us. Do not use your freedom as an excuse for lawlessness. When we slander a president, when we slander a leader, we are slandering a human made in the image of God. And I believe ultimately we are disobeying the will of God for our lives to be a gospel representation. Now, there is a difference between slander and criticism. Criticism is acceptable. Criticism builds Criticism lets us know weak points. Slander defames while trying to accomplish the same thing. You can attack someone's policies. You can attack someone's actions without attacking the person themselves. Do not use your freedom as an excuse for lawlessness. We have a great responsibility to cherish the freedoms that we have been given by God, to understand their origins, and to do our best to love others and treat them with respect, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how we are treated. Because we are not honoring authority, we are not honoring governors, we are not honoring all men because of what they might do to us or for us, but because of the Lord. Ultimately, we are not held responsible for what our government does as they rule over us, but how we respond to the government, to the glory of the Lord. Hopefully this was helpful for you today as it was for me. God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, help us to be people who live by the book, to honor you as often and as much as we can, and to honor those who are in authority around us. Lord, we live in a time and a society where even Christians, I've been guilty of this myself, we refuse to accept the authority that has been placed over us, thereby, making ourself, thereby proving that Christ has not taken hold of our lives because if he had, 
we would submit to those things, those authorities, in those areas that he has called us to submit. Lord, would you help us to be people who trust you, to live for you, to be strong, to take strong stands, to be honorable, but to be willing to submit when necessary, when you have called us to submit. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you today, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ who died for us, who lives for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.